Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura, and welcome to episode 20. It has been an exciting, exciting last few days, week, a lot going on in both of our sports, so a lot to talk about. And first, we have the NHL. Of course, the biggest thing going on right now is the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, After winning the first game, the Dallas Stars did not look like they were even a competitor for the next three. I mean, it was very varying levels of, like, they would take the lead and then lose, and it was just all over the place. But then in game five, of course, won it in double overtime. On the Corey Perry goal, like everyone predicted, um, it was just, it's, it's been an interesting, like, even though, even before that, even though the Stars lost, there was only, like, maybe one game where it was just, like, not at all exciting. I thought Tampa Bay just won. A lot of the other games, it was a little all over the place and kind of interesting to watch and and see what was going on. Yeah, um, game two was like, oh, we're we're doing this again. It felt very uh, much like their game two against Vegas, where it was like, oh, these were the teams I expected and I hate it. Um, I honestly don't really remember game three at all because – Game four happened and just broke me. Game four was annoying. Yeah. Game four. First of all, the fact that it was the first game in a back-to-back, I was like, of course it's going to be like this. This sucks. I hate it so much. And just the amount of dumb calls that were being made. And then the fact that, you know, the refs decided to – attempt to fix that in uh, game five by not calling anything. Um, Literally three calls the whole game total against every team. It was a double overtime game. I, it, like, so game four is like basically my rant for this episode. Like, and there's and here's so- the thing about game four. It's not even like I don't know how you feel because you're an actual Stars fan. But yeah. it's not even like, oh, the Stars got jobbed. Obviously, that Jamie Ben call in overtime was really brutal and personally hurt the Stars a lot. But that embellishment call on Braden Point, the guy got hit in the balls. <laughs> and we're saying he embellished yeah. that? Like, yeah. like, what is there to embellish? From all, what I know, that hurts really bad. <laughs> like, I feel like when you call embellishment for that as a ref, you should have to experience the same hit and then right. still be able to make the call. Because, like, come on. Right. So, I, I totally agree. That was not embellishment at all. Like, it didn't even look close to being embellishment. Even if it wasn't, like, an issue where he got hit, that, like, clearly apparently hurts. Um, but the only thing that I was like, fine, I I guess call it embellishment is because earlier in that same period when the puck was in one of Tampa's pants, essentially, and Braden Point just like pulled it out of the dude's pants and put it back on the ice and no, nothing was called on that, which I'm pretty sure is a penalty. And I think there had been something else earlier in that period that also was like a blatant Tampa Bay penalty and they just didn't call it. So then when Perry got the uh, 
penalty and then the matching penalty with embellishment, I was kind of like, okay, well, whatever, that evened out earlier when Tampa didn't get called. But that's kind of the problem with how the refs have been calling this, right. is you constantly have to, so like game four, five became a way to even out game four, yeah. but then in doing that, you end up just perpetuating more bad calls. Right. And like, the, the thing that I always understood is, like, the general guideline for playoff officiating, because it is different than regular season, and I get that to a degree, but the thing that I always understood, and it's actually a pretty clear line, is, like, your garden variety trip, your cross check, holding, interference, anything like that, if it doesn't impact who has possession of the puck, then you cannot call it. And you shouldn't call something like a trip that happens way out of the play that has no impact on anything or like a hook or something like mm-hmm. that. That I agree with that. That's a little bit like deciding a game when you start calling those. But like in overtime, there were so many times I'm like, that guy got tripped and then he just couldn't get the puck that he had a very easy access to mm-hmm. and no call. And it's like that determined possession by not calling it, you are determining the game that you think you're not determining. Yeah. And so like in that sense, I was kind of like, okay, because I, I was extremely mad at Perry for that um, penalty. And then I was like, hey, whatever, even now it's four on four, sure. Um, and then honestly, I don't even remember the penalty that got us four on three. Is that what it was? God, it's such a blur. Um, whatever. The, the issue I had was the call on Jamie Ben that was called for tripping, clearly was not a tripping. I think it also was annoying that it wasn't even the ref that was literally right there to call it. It was the ref that was like, back and that's something that's bothered me for a long time because the amount of times where the ref that's closest doesn't make a call and the ref that's farther away and sometimes it really is the case where the ref that's closest is being shielded and so the ref that's far away mm-hmm. but I feel like every time you make that call that if it's not like the ref right in front of it if it's the ref that's far away the call like him calling a penalty should be to stop the play to talk to the other ref but then mm-hmm. the other ref should be should have the leeway and should have the first voice to say like this is what i saw from my close vantage point what did you think you saw yeah okay I and can we also talk about i just have to get this out there uh-huh. from last night the icing that went off the goalie it went off the goalie laura i screamed i i was convinced the lightning were going to win the stanley cup off of an icing that wasn't an icing me too i was like this is how it ends this is how it ends and everyone in NBC, they usually try to be like, oh, well, I can kind of see blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, they were all like, it went off the goalie. How do you miss that? Like, it changed direction. Yeah, and they were even pretty that upset about, like, Jamie Benn's call on tripping that wasn't tripping. So that's when you know it's bad, when you have the broadcast who, look, I, I'm a Stars fan, so maybe I take it, like, I'm paying attention a little more to how broadcast is talking but they seem to really freaking love Tampa and if they're gonna side with the stars on some of those calls that's when you know it's bad but not but I think the thing that put me over the edge on game four was not only that the non-penalty was called led to that win for Tampa 
but Tampa's reaction was like they won the cup already, and that just like the camera immediately showed Jamie Ben just sitting in the box staring. And I was doing the exact same thing on my couch, like that million mile, we just lost it all stare. Because that's what it felt like. It was like, uh, and it wasn't even the fact that it was like, Tampa now leads 3-1 in the series. It was just the culmination of that game and how it ended. It was just like, oh, we're done. It's more, we don't have a chance is what it felt like by then. Because then going into game five, I literally went into it numb. I was like, nothing can hurt me after last night. We're going to lose and it's fine. Yeah, I was like, it's whatever. We're going to lose and I've accepted it now. The thing, it's just, like, I understand that being a ref is not easy and all that. But Mm -hmm. first of all, they are pretty insulated. They never have to take any questions or take any heat that players sir have to take. Like Jamie Ben had to answer questions. They're taking a penalty that wasn't even a penalty. Yeah. But it, it's just it's frustrating to me because like you saw, I saw Steve Dangle tweet after Game Four saying, "Watch in Game Five, they're going to make up to it for it, and no calls are going to to be made." Fast forward to Game Five, in almost five periods of hockey we have three total penalties when you can know what someone's going to do before you even watch the game like yeah. then it's you're not reffing yeah like and this, there were some not, like blatant it wasn't even like oh we could have called that but it's fine whatever there were some that were like you should have called that and it's not even like i i I'm going to put words in your mouth here, but it's not even like you just saying, oh, Dallas got jobbed in game five. Yeah. It's like when you only call three calls total against all teams combined, you missed a ton of calls on it. Like everyone. Yeah. I mean, maybe the goalies are the only ones who can say, okay, they probably wouldn't have gotten a call either way. But everyone else, like there's a good chance that pretty much every player on the ice had some decent – could have been calls that just meh that's fine yeah yeah and I, I I think the thing that's also most telling is like was anyone really surprised that there were so few calls that game after so many the game before the one thing I will say that's good is that because of the Vegas debacle last year it is at least good that if they're going to do a five-minute major they have to at least stare at the video yeah. And say that yes, it's a five minute major because I feel like that will save like something absolutely like detrimental. Because like if, if they called it a crappy five minute major, at least on Vegas, they got three three goals. Now that's on Vegas too for giving up three goals on a power play, but it can really change the whole complexion of a game. But I mean the power play can too in, in overtime and stuff like that. So it's just it sucks because that's the whole story right now, is just Yeah. They're like, we don't want to decide a game. Well, in not deciding a game, you become the whole story. You are deciding a game. Yeah. And I think, like, I was thinking about this um, after the call on the tripping that wasn't the tripping and then the icing that wasn't the icing. I almost feel like there should be, like, a specific kind of challenge where you just ask for them to, like, like, for the Jamie thing, just be like, hey, can y'all, like, get together and review it or at least, like, think about it because – Regardless, if it was tripping, then he's going to the box. But if it wasn't, then you, like, you get the call right. Something I've heard 
suggested, but it's kind of hard because it's like there wouldn't be a clear line and then there would just be controversy around that. Yeah. Is to have like a third ref in the stands and it, it's something that they can see with like their eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, buddy, I don't know if you got that one right. Or, like, to see on the replay, like, the first yeah. one, like, you get to see one replay in, like, real time. And if it's, like, super bad call, they could, like, push a button and it's like, hey, go look at it. But because what we don't want is we don't want then everything to become what offsides is right. now. Where it's like we're, get, like, looking at the Zapruder film trying to decide right. what skate was on the ice or not. It's so, I was fully convinced that, like, when they started talking about offsides for the overtime goal, I'm like, oh, crap, we're going to turn this going to be this again and then I look right thank god Perry's foot is very clearly on the ice because oh my god if we had to go through that again oh I thought for sure I was like oh of course it's it's gonna be offsides because why wouldn't it be I do want to mention this I sent this to Morgan so I think it's the last five or six stars goals I think five maybe uh are by uh Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry, both of whom were not on the team last year. So I thought that was a pretty cool set. Um, Also, I'm just going to say it, the three goals Corey Perry has scored in the last two games, he may have done that whole thing in the Winter Classic. He may be Corey Perry and overplayed a lot and whatever, whatever. But those three goals, I feel like, earned him the $1.5 million that he made this year. And some of that is because he's in a good contract because 1.5 million is, is a low risk kind of contract, but, but I think it's shown how good it is to have both of those guys. Um, Corey Perry has a Stanley Cup to his name and Joe Pavelski, while he doesn't have a Stanley Cup we, because he was with the Sharks for so long, he has a final appearance and he has a lot of playoff experience which I think is really good. And Joe Pavelski has just kind of always been really clutch and consistent in the playoffs and you kind of see it because this year he's a little all over the place and some of that was because of like trying to figure out what to do with him on the power play mm-hmm. which was bizarre because it's like I know Jamie does net front and all of that but like that's Joe Pavelski's whole signature is being an amazing like tip artist on the power play and all of that but it's like it doesn't matter what happened in the regular season because the playoffs and he just steps up and really leads things and it's also really nice that while he maybe isn't like on this like goal side as much Tyler Sagan is not the same Tyler Sagan as he's been this playoffs like these last couple games he's been one of their like top players which is good to see because I think like him and Jamie and Jamie's been like kind of had a little bit of a resurgence to the old Jamie Ben from a few years ago mm-hmm. in the playoffs and so having him and then starting to see Tyler heat up and all of that they they look more like a complete team yeah um another thing about game four which I for- had forgotten because it this was earlier in the game um within literally five minutes of the game they were shuffling lines. Rick Bonus basically had the lines on a blender, which, <sighs> Lord, I mean, what is the point of practicing if you're gonna just switch it up that quickly into a game? And then, so I think from that and then how that game ended to then having a game back to back and you're going into the next game and like, 
having Matt Rupe Hints was hurt. I was Matt, just going to mention that. No Rupe Hints. I was amazed they won. I, as soon as it, that was kind of like going in, I was like, oh, well, we're done because we're going to lose all of our forwards. Like they're all just dying. And then Sekera got hurt in the second period. And then also, like, also going into game five, I was like, who, who's going to be in net? Because Doby's clearly tired, which you've played in every game of the playoffs. Of course you're tired. He has every right to be tired. Well, so the kind of play he's had to make. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, there's no way they're throwing Ben Bishop out there after they tried that last time. And then it's also like, well, you don't really want Ottinger to, like, go out there. Like, I mean, he's Have played game. <laughs> Right. Like, he's played good games, but also it's like literally the cup is on the line. You don't want that kind of pressure on the kid. So I, I'm glad it totally worked out for them. But I was a little nervous going in. I was like, they don't really have a goalie. It was amazing, too. Second half of back-to-back, what the heck was that? Right? That was amazing. Right? And there were a few where I was like, oh, he does look like he's tired. But, like, his overtime, he was as sharp as he was in game one. Um, yeah, it's, it's an, I have to say the whole, like, uh, losing hints and then, like, there were a lot of new players, new faces and stuff like that. Yeah. My mom and I were watching the game, and all of a sudden, she just starts going, wait, did they say there's a player named Commando? <laughs> <laughs> That's how unknown a player was. My mom's like, is his name Commando? Uh, that would be funny if it was, though. So I, I was like, that, that, there's a, somewhere in some hockey team he's been on, that's totally his nickname. Oh, for sure. <laughs> there you go. Um, the other thing we have to talk about. Well, first of all, I guess, do you think this like? Do you think it, it ends like you predicted in Tampa in six? Do you think it's? I I kind of feel like it's gonna go seven, and I don't know what's gonna happen in game seven. After last night, I feel like it could go seven games. I want it to go seven games just so my prediction is wrong. Um. Because kind of what I was thinking about after last night's win is the Stars have more to play for in these next, like in the last game and then the next game. When you think about it, like Tampa just has to win one more. And I think sometimes, not that they get lazy, but I think you could go into a game thinking, okay, we just have to win this, like. And I don't want to say, like, they wouldn't try as hard or whatever, but, like, the Stars have more to fight for. Like, they're fighting to not go home and just end their season on getting so close. Like, I, I don't know how to, like, phrase it right. It just – I feel like the Stars can come back with more fight and turn and turn it on, like, how they did game one. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um which it's kind of how I expected them to come in on Saturday's game. But then again, it's second of a back-to-back. So there's only – spite can only fuel you for so long on a back-to-back. But I think if they want to go, like, full petty on Monday, I think it could fuel them for, like, going into game seven. Um, so I just have to say random thought I had. Mm-hmm. After how this whole postseason has gone, I think what I'm going to petition that the Stars do next season – is some teams so on the ice at any 
given time, the league stipulates that you can have one captain and two alternates or three alternate captains. But what a lot of teams will do is they'll have their one captain and then they have more than two alternates who like rotate in on different games. Like the Leafs do that with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and stuff like that. I have a petition that I think Joe Pavelski needs a letter because mm-hmm. after what he's done, and not just, like, how he's played, but just you look at him on the ice and, like, the presence that he has, I think, and the fact that he was the captain of the Sharks, I yeah. think he's kind of earned, oh, yeah. like, a formal designation, like, this guy's a leader, because everyone can see that he is one. Yeah, it'll be interesting, because right now, like, the Stars are doing two home alternates and two away alternates, and I think the home is... Sagan and Lindell and the away is Como and Klingberg. Yeah. Um, so honestly, I could see them coming back next season and being like Sagan and Pavelski as alternates. The thing, I, so I was Klingberg too. I was watching last game in particular. I remember mm-hmm. reading a stat where it's like the shot, like the shot shares when the different defensemen on the ice and with Miro Heiskanen, it's like Tampa never gets a shot. And with all of the other defensemen, besides it's Miro and then of course Jamie who kind of Jamie's good but it's not so much Jamie as it is Miro but then they were talking about how John Klingberg even he was getting outshot and then I watch it and I'm like he is awesome that overtime goal yeah totally like he owns a huge chunk of it from just like walking the line so beautifully and not many people could do that and in his offensive zone he's a bit of a wizard when you watch him trying to play defense, it's legit scary sometimes. He is, like, his positioning is not good. Like, I'm sitting there, I was watching it, and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't even, like, he needs to, because obviously they're more offensively-minded defensemen, and that's fine. But you can't be that. Like, like he needs to work on that a little bit, because yeah. that's a little scary. Yeah. It's a little bit of a like, like the, once if it if the puck is in the offensive zone, he can keep it there for a really long time and do some like set up some really amazing chances. Mm-hmm. But as soon as the puck is in the defensive zone and he is on the ice, it's going to be there a while. Yeah, yeah. So. Also, a uh, quick note: I'm sure you'll be surprised to know that uh, Giryanov did not get to 15 minutes before overtime last night. I mean. Rick Bonus was coaching, so that was kind of a good I didn't, we didn't have to talk about my team, of course, not active in the postseason, but it's probably the most non playing team, most active non playing team right now because they make all of the trades and they made such a dumb trade <laughs> with a caveat. Okay, I'll explain the caveat. So they had Patrick Hornquist, and I mean, he is a forward. It's kind of like he was traded one for one for James Neal from he was acquired for James Neal from the Predators. And was really great. Like he is our net front guy on a power play, gritty, hard worker. Sidney Crosby, I remember on one of our episodes of like our behind the scenes show said, I used to think I was intense until I met Horny, which is Patrick Hornquist's nickname, oddly enough. Don't ask me. <laughs> um and so just a real presence, but he's really started to show his age just because of the kind of hockey he plays, injured a lot, struggles more recently, but still a very productive player, 
maybe like slightly overpaid, but at 5.3 million, I think it was very reasonable for what he, he provides and stuff like that. And so, and he had a no trade clause that he had to waive for this. And he said, he very pointedly said he waived it because it was clear the Penguins didn't want him and he wanted to go somewhere who did. So that's annoying because not on his part, but on the part yeah. of Jim Rutherford because we definitely had a use for him. And so we traded him for, I'm going to start with the one that's least annoying of the two pieces. We got Colton Sevier, who makes $1.2 million. And it's kind of like a third, fourth line winger. Not great. Definitely probably a fourth line winger on the Penguins, but it's kind of whatever. It's fine. He's a fine acquisition. He's not a bad hockey player in that, at that cap hit. As long as he's not a complete liability, it's fine. For and Mike Matheson, a left-handed defenseman who is way overpaid and has term. Similar to a left-handed defenseman named Jack Johnson, who we have, who is way overpaid and also has term. However, we now have four left-handed defensemen who, like, were routine starters in the NHL last year. We have Brian Dumoulin, Marcus Pedersen, Jack Johnson, and Mike Matheson. Now... They've kind of hinted that maybe Mike Matheson would play the right side, but I kind of hate that idea. Um, so what everyone's hoping and what people are kind of hinting is a likelihood is that there's some deal that's like been preliminarily agreed on or like Jim Rutherford, the general manager, knows for sure that Jack Johnson is getting offloaded. And now Mike Matheson makes a little more than Jack Johnson. However, he is younger than Jack Johnson and not as much of a complete black hole as Jack Johnson is. So if this trade is the like catalyst and is the reason that we then can get rid of Jack Johnson, even though I still don't like it, even though it's still not a fair value, I will be okay because the net out of it is a positive, getting rid of Jack Johnson. But that is the only way. If we start next season and have both of these defensemen, I will be hot. I will be upset because they're both not good. <laughs> and that's what all there they, is to that trade. What if they make them a defensive pair? People line? want that. Non-Penguins <laughs> fans want that. Like when we had Erica Branson, again, so we traded – we traded um, Carl Haglin, who was like a speedster, uh, who was on the HBK line, and our like that was like our famous line from our 2016 Cup run. We traded him to LA, and we got back Tanner Pearson. Tanner Pearson's a really good winger who just didn't really fit in with the Penguins at all. That's fine. That happens. Whatever. So we decide we're gonna trade him, but he's a good winger, and we traded him for Eric Gabranson, a bad, overpaid defenseman and everyone's like put the Branson and Johnson together (laughs) all of the bad and they just fired Sergei Gonchar as their assistant coach and uh he was like known as the defensive whisperer like he's the reason that Justin Schultz kind of had a career resurrection like he was a, like a really really elite NHL defenseman who has been known to kind of been able to transform defenseman's careers obviously that didn't really work with Jack Johnson because he's old enough and just really not that good at all but it was like okay if, if Mike Matheson had any shot at all it would be with Sergey Gonchar and I'm just not sure that this is going to work at all so you can't tell I'm not super pumped if, if in a week or a couple weeks Jack Johnson is off the team. 
whatever that trade is, so long as we don't have to trade like Brian Rust or Jake Gensel or something. Like if if we have to package him with uh, Matt Murray and get less value for Matt Murray or something like that, totally fine. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> so that's that's all I need. I'm just begging. So I saw that trade come up on my notifications and I was like, well, I can't wait for Laura to talk about this one. Horrible. That's <laughs> TLDR. Bad. <laughs> So I think we should go to the um, MLB right now. Yes. And I figured we would start with kind of the end of the season headlines and then we can end with our um, bracket, kind of running through our bracket. So um, the first thing I wanted to talk about, I saw Boston fired their manager or, or the new thing is they didn't fire, they announced that he wouldn't be back next year. Yes, they you know, dismissed him. Yes. And a lot of rumors are that Cora, who everyone knows had involvement in the Astros cheating scandal and was fired for that, it may have been in less of a firing, but more of a like, hey, go off on suspension for a season and then come back. Yeah. So Cora was also technically dismissed earlier this season. So, and I don't think he got a true suspension from MLB. Um, so that's the thought process is like, oh, they won't, they're just going to bring Cora back because technically they never wanted to lose him. That wasn't their choice. So why not just bring him back? Which I can see. I wouldn't be that mad about it. It makes sense. Um, technically Boston didn't get in trouble for cheating to the extent that Houston did. So really he didn't have anything to do with cheating on, um, while he was the manager with Boston, so sure, why not? Um, although he did still technically cheat as the bench coach with Houston, but whatever. Um, the interesting thing will be if Hinch can come back next season because I think technically his suspension was for a year, not a like season as in like you have to miss 162 games. So technically next year he could come back as a manager for whatever team, um, which would be interesting because I think I'd be surprised if anyone hires him as a manager. Um, Like maybe the Mets could, like they're the only team I feel like is dumb enough to hire him like right after. They got that new smoke with uh, their new owner. Yeah. And so they, I think some of the like dumbass Metsness of it all might go away. I think there's still like some weird voodoo going on with True. the Mets. True. Yeah. either. But I think some of their were idiots things might go away a little bit. Yeah. It, but like off the top of my head, they're they're the only team I could think of that would be like hiring him so quickly. I could maybe as like a coach, like a bench coach, hitting coach, something like that. I could maybe see him coming back as that sooner than a than a manager um I would just be really surprised if he gets hired as a manager that quickly after just missing one season like I kind of feel like for as much as he can say I didn't know about it I tried to make it stop blah 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 I broke two computers whatever like I don't know how I if I'm a GM for a team I cannot hire him 
even if he is a good head uh sorry they're not head coaches they're managers I know some people get really upset about that whatever same thing um I don't think I would be able to be like I'd be like "Mm, maybe next season we'll think about it can I just say like low-key one of the questions I would ask if I was interviewing for manager this is also why I would never work in baseball like okay so what is your plan for like what you're gonna wear for the game because the Cubs manager David Ross he wears a hoodie because he kind of hates the idea that managers wear uniforms uh-huh. and I kind of love it because he looks like so much less weird in <laughs> just like a hoodie and like baseball pants-ish kind of thing because mm-hmm. he still has the baseball pants but the hoodie it just looks a little less weird. Yeah a lot of managers have been going towards that look where they're either wearing like the uh the batting practice top with like the yeah. game pants. Technically, I think managers aren't allowed to do that. Like I think technically they're supposed to be in full uniform because I had heard somewhere that the only manager that was allowed to wear like just the like whatever top and didn't have to wear like the actual jersey, I think is the Cleveland manager who I'm totally blanking Harry on his Frank name right now. now yes um like he had like special not special treatment but like something medically related something the thing, the thing where I think like the hoodie maybe you can get around is kind of like the bullpen thing if they have the jersey on underneath yeah and they're just wearing the hoodie over top but I'm just gonna say I, I think that's a trend that needs to stay because I think the managers themselves are like this is weird <laughs> right we're not playing but we have to wear like I kind of get I kind of understand like the first and third base coach wearing them um I think the baseball pants like I think it's good that they wear baseball pants yeah because I think it does look weird when you're outside like I even think like and football coaches do this too you never see a football coach in like full suit because it just looks weird yeah you're on the grass it looks weird (laughs) yeah um, but yeah, I think if they wear at least the pants, I, now that, like, I'm thinking about it, and I, I mean, the, since I've started watching the Rangers, they've only had three, like, true managers in Ron Washington, uh, Jeff Bannister, and, uh, Chris Woodward, and I'm thinking of those three, I think Washington was, like, the only one to wear full uniform. I think Bannister did very rarely um I'm thinking maybe like only home whites I could be wrong based on my foggy memory of Jeff Bannister um he because Chris Woodward I swear to god I have not seen him in in full uniform in the last two seasons maybe like opening day the thing I think is weird too about the David Ross thing the Cubs manager is he is really not that far removed. I mean, his last oh, season yeah. was the 2016. So yeah. he, of all people, would not look that weird right. in it because he was the player, like, a few years ago. Yeah. He's like, eh, nah, don't want that. But, I, yeah, I agree. I think they, like, wear the batting practice jersey or top or a hoodie even. Like, or, like, have you seen, like, the pictures that are in the dugout that, like, literally are wearing hoodies, but, like, they've cut off the sleeves? Oh, they're doing the Bill Belichick. Yeah. Which is the weirdest thing to me, but whatever. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't love that. But I mean I I like it better than Yeah. Um so, sorry for that sidetrack. No, you're good. Um the other piece of news that I have 
is that um, the Angels fired their GM. They have not made it to the postseason since, I thought, 2014. But now I'm thinking they went in 2016 as a wild card. But that also sounds wrong. I don't know. I just know they have not made it. They haven't won a postseason game in since Mike Trout's been there, which is too long. Yeah, I was going to say, the thing that just really annoys me, because in some respects, like the Albert Pujols thing and stuff like that, like some people are like, yeah, we just signed this guy to a long contract, and then we just think in the last few years we'll just trade him to L.A. Like to the Angels, obviously not the Dodgers. But <laughs> but then the other thing is they have Mike Trout, and everyone's like, yeah, there's no way they're going to – because obviously baseball you need more than one player. Mm-hmm. But Mike Trout is legitimately so amazing. He deserves better than it's, – it's the Edmonton Oilers of the MLB. Connor yeah. McDavid yeah. deserves better, and Mike Trout deserves better. I think from my memory of the Angels postseason, which isn't always that great because I don't really care about them, um, I think he's played in three postseason games in his career, and obviously they lost all those because they didn't win the series. Um but, like, that's, like, a joke now. Like, I even saw someone tweet earlier today, yeah, the Rangers suck, but at least we're not wasting Mike Trout in his prime. Yeah, and that's kind of always the thing of the Edmonton Oilers. On any given year, they were never the worst – well, they were before Connor McDavid. Post-Connor McDavid, they were never the worst team in hockey. And they weren't even, like, particularly close to being the worst team in hockey. But every team that was worse is like, yeah, but we don't have the best player in the NHL on our team. Like, you have Connor McDavid and you can't win. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you have Mike Trout and you can't, like, build a team around that. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is they've tried. They've had plenty of good pieces throughout seasons and they just can't do anything with him. Like, they have a new manager this year they've had great pitching in p- previous seasons and it's like their bats are dead and then they have good bats and then terrible pitching and like Shohei Otani was going to be a great pitcher I don't know if he's ever actually going to pitch again but he's a good batter um but then again now you're lacking in pitching um just- also Let's talk about their shortstop deciding to opt out of the season the last week of the season. The thing, too, that I think is weird is, like, you look at the Rays Uh and the budget and everything that they have to work with and how they manage to, like, just somehow always be, like, either, like, in the playoffs or, like, in the conversation of the playoffs. And it's like, okay, on any given, like, you pick a Rays team in the past, like, few years, and you just pick one at random and throw Mike Trout on it. Like, that's a really awesome team. Like, they have built a team and with way less than what the Angels have. It just – it doesn't – it doesn't make sense. Um, I was just going to go look up his contract real quick because I – the life of me cannot remember – some reason I was thinking he signed an extension and then I was like, no, nah, that would be dumb. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting though, because he, he kind of, it's going to make me sound like I don't like him, but I do. I, he's, he's a $426 million contract. Wow. <laughs> and just like Mike Trout contract, $426 oh, he million. he did sign an extension because he's not a free agent until 2031. Yeah. And, 
the thing is, he is an absolutely amazing dynamic player. I'm not a huge Bryce Harper fan, but you can't argue the guy has a personality. Like, the guy generates headlines. Mike Trout is a star player who isn't a star. Like, yeah. he just doesn't quite have that same – It's kind of well, it's kind of like Jake DeGrom in pitching. Like, Jake DeGrom mm-hmm. is absolutely an elite star pitcher who has, like, no desire to be a star at all. Which, yeah. like, you can't teach that. You can't train that. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's just – it's kind of a thing where I'm like, I just wish you had a little – there was a little more to it. There was a, just a little more, like, mixing it up kind of thing. Yeah, because the only thing I can think of Mike Trout is, like, I know he likes weather <laughs> and, like, talking about weather. <laughs> and that's all I know. Yeah, um, it's, just, it, it's just like, come on, dude, give us, like, I think for some reason I feel like that would help everything. <laughs> but also, I think if he was with a different team. Like, yeah. if he was with the Dodgers, star. Yankees, star. Red Sox. Like, any of the big-name teams. Mm-hmm. I think it's also because, like, the Angels. Like, it's just not a team that's, like, talked about in general. Mm-hmm. Um, LA is such a weird market, too. Like, even the Dodgers, because of how hard it is to get to a stadium because of traffic and everything, it just is a very different kind of environment than a lot of other baseball towns. Yeah, and it's also that the Angels are in Anaheim, not actually the Los, Los Angeles. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Dumbest <laughs> name ever. <laughs> so I think that also does them in um because really they don't even get that big of a crowd um even when they were good Mm -hmm. um real quickly I just wanted to talk about the batting and pitching leaders for the end of the season because it's also really weird to see these numbers because they seem extremely low but then I have to remind myself oh we played a hundred less games than normal um I was kind of surprised because they sent like notifications of these are the AL batting leaders and I was I expected them just to be like um the average the home runs maybe hits and then RBIs but they also included stolen bases and OPS um, which was interesting. DJ LeMahieu led mm-hmm. in both average and OPS, and he is the first player to have the batting title in both AL and NL in the modern era of baseball, which is pretty cool. Um, I think he was with the Rock. I think he got it with the Rockies in 2016, if I remember that right. Um, the the weird. It's weird to see like the home run leader had only 22 home runs because that sounds like nothing mm-hmm. um because even well, I guess that would be close to 50 if it was a regular season so that makes it sound better but like at first I saw 22 home runs and I was like that's it that's all they did 22 that's the leader I have to, so I have to talk about DJ LeMahieu because it's another Mets moment for you uh-huh. so in the 2019 the offseason before the 2019 season the Mets were looking at okay like who are we gonna get who are we gonna get and it came down to like they were looking into DJ LeMahieu or they were looking into Jed Lowry of course DJ LeMahieu ends up on the Yankees and is now if not the MVP will finish in second place Jed Lowry 
finished his Mets career this year, like finally is is done, and so he had two two seasons. He had eight at bats in two seasons. And the only thing that happened in, in those eight at bats is he had one walk. Oh. Like in oh, two man. games, DJ LeMahieu was better than, like, did more for the, for the Yankees. <laughs> I, their fans started calling him because, like, he would get hurt. He'd been on the 10 day DL, and then it would be like, oh, and it, it got exacerbated or something, and it would just keep going on. And, like, you, you just keep getting updates but you never really hear hear from him. They started calling him Dead Lowry. They're like, we need proof that he's alive because we haven't seen him and we just keep hearing him talk about (laughs) the poor guy. Um, But yeah, it's a very much thing. But apparently he's had injury struggles throughout his career and it's like, you never should have signed with the Mets. You have injury struggles, don't sign with the Mets. Um. I'll go through the rest of these quickly. Soto got it for the NL, um, leading an average and OPS as well. He's the youngest NL player to win the batting title. Uh, Shane Bieber with Cleveland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to think about that. I was like, oh. Um, I, I had to think about that because on MLB's uh, website for the uh, postseason, they have him listed as the White Sox. Uh, yeah. And he is the first pitcher to win the Triple Crown since Johan Santana in 06, um, leading in wins, ERA, and strikeouts, which, I'm sorry, pitching wins are dumb. Although Darvish had the most in the NL, so are they dumb? I don't know. Well, we need to RIP to wins because, again, Mets, Jake DeGrom, and all of his no decisions with, like, two runs or less allowed. DeGrom did get uh, the strikeout title for the NL with the most strikeouts in the NL, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's all I had for that. Oh, well, I guess I didn't, I didn't say my not, not necessarily my favorite person ever for the NL in ERA is Trevor Bauer. He's probably yeah. going to win the Cy Young. Which is stupid. I do applaud him for the free Joe Kelly cleats. I like that, but everything else, yeah. I could do without him. I'm surprised he didn't get fined for those cleats. Well, he honest. didn't actually wear them. He just tweeted and, about wearing them. Oh, that's them. right. He wasn't he allowed to wear them. That's Which right. I was on his side for that. Because, like, if you can wear other cleats, free Joe Kelly, it's like, well, it's a negative message. How is free a negative message? I don't get it. But um, So, postseason, bracket one. Um, they're calling it the wild card series, which really annoys me because there are literally only two, four out of the eight games include a wild card team. So whatever they're calling it wild card series, it's best of three. Um, the top four teams in each league is hosting the series before it goes to the, um, the side, the bubble. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, what am I trying to say? The not independent sites. The oh, neutral field. Yes, thank you. Neutral. God, that word was not coming. To <laughs> okay. My brain. Um, the AL series will start on Tuesday. They will play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if necessary. NL will start Wednesday, Thursday, and play Friday if necessary because I'm trying to get these done as soon as possible. Um, 
So, you do we'll do, through? yeah, let's do NL first because okay. get that over with since I don't know it very well. I um, have, I have the bracket so I can just start it off. Um, I guess we'll start with 1A is Dodgers Brewers. I feel like this is the a really easy one to talk about because the Dodgers are 43 and 17 and the Brewers are under 500. So yeah. I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Yeah. And interesting thing is Brewers and Astros are the only two teams in the postseason that have a losing record. Although um, the Brewers are a wild card. So that makes sense. Whereas like the Astros are not a wild card. And then they're, they're the first team in the modern era to make it to postseason, not as a wild card and having a losing record. So and of course it's the Astros. Yes. Um, I will say Brewers, I was reading, while they've had an awful year record-wise, they've broken a lot of franchise records. Um, I think pitching-wise, they might be a little bit tough for the Dodgers just because I know they have good pitching. I know their bats can be a little fluky. I did also pick the Dodgers, though, because they're the number one seed, and it just kind of makes sense. Um, They'll also be hosting the whole series. I guess they're not doing – where I'm assuming Angels would be the home team for all three games. Um, Whereas usually I would think if it's like any of the other rounds, I would have thought they would have done two and one, but Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, Also, this is the Dodgers' eighth straight NL West division win, which is insane. And given that, like, the the season is fluky and all of that. I could see the Dodgers maybe not continuing like their amazing World Series streak or something like that. Yeah. But there is just absolutely I like I I just don't believe, even in such a small sample size, that they're gonna lose the first. Yeah. Um. Right now for Game One, Milwaukee doesn't have a starter listed, but Walker Bueller will be starting for the Dodgers. And then the, the next series, the winner of which will play the winners of the Dodger Brewers series, is the po- San Diego Padres versus the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, an interesting thing, because I was following the scenarios from today, and the Brewers and Cardinals ended their seasons with a series against each other. The Brewers lost today, which meant that they needed some other things to happen in order to make the postseason. But if they had won today, their record their record now is 29-31. and 31. They had won today, their record would have been 30 and 30 exactly 500 the Cardinals current record is 30 and 28 and they would have been 29 and 29 and 502 so it's just because the Cardinals won one game against the Brewers today they're above 500 and the Brewers are below 500 so I thought that was a little interesting all of that said um I just really love that Tatis so I'm gonna go ahead and pick Padres for that reason yeah um I will always pick against the Cardinals um, always pick in St. Louis, really, no matter what sport it is. I agree with that, too. I agree <laughs> with that. Um, and the Padres have just been really fun to watch. Um, every year, it feels like going into the season, it's like the Padres are going to be the team to watch, and then they just flunk. Like, they just look awful. And then this year was the year that, like, okay, they're, they're actually doing what we expected them to do. Um, and it, like you said, Tatis Jr. is freaking like, I hope he hits all the Grand Slams. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, we're all in agreement so far. I hope we're in agreement <laughs> on the next one. This, yes. here's, I have an interesting stat I saw on Twitter before this. So um, the Cubs 
are hosting the Marlins. And the interesting thing I heard about that is this is the first time the Cubs are hosting the Marlins in the postseason since the infamous Steve Bartman interference, which is not even possible this year because there are no fans. I feel so bad for that guy. Like, that is never... He got such a bad... Well, he got a World Series ring. That's true. I mean, it still doesn't take away the fact that, that, like, fans completely destroyed his life. So, no defense for me on that, but it's kind of crazy to think about, like, that and how all the things change. Because when that that series happened, they were the Florida Marlins, and now they are the Miami Marlins and all of that. All of that said, my mom, you know, gave me a love of the Cubs. And also, I just think given... Miami and everything I I think the Cubs and besides like me that being a homer choice I think it's probably yeah. the better choice yeah I went with the Cubs as well um my mom hasn't made her bracket yet but she will also be choosing the Cubs because Darvish is on that team um so yeah the Cubs just kind of seem like the obvious choice I think it's also cool that um David Ross gets to go to the postseason his first year as manager. That team has been so much fun. I and somehow I follow a lot of Cubs fans on Twitter. And so just seeing all the gifts of them and the fun that they have in the dugout, like they do softball cheers in the dugout. Um, they just seem like such a fun team. And those are always the teams, regardless of if I already like the team that I cheer for like last year the Nationals they were just a fun team to watch have fun in the dugout and the Cubs seem that way this year too and I think that's part of half of the team has played with their manager on a team so that I also have to share the story my mom told me today it's so Mm -hmm. cool so Mike Napoli is a coach of the Cubs yep and he had loaned like some of his chains to Anthony Rizzo and Anthony thought they brought him good luck or something so then Chris Bryant has kind of had a not great year injury and otherwise and so he's coming back from injury and that Mike Napoli's like hey do you want to wear them like like into talking joking I was like sure I'll do it and then he gets a grand slam yeah like in his first game back uh, yesterday and then today and it was like a first pitch granny too and then today he gets the solo home run and then when he got the solo home run it was like in the first inning today he's just dying laughing <laughs> like who knew that's all he needed oh my gosh I had not heard that but I love Mike Napoli so much I remember when he um when it was announced that he was going to be like I don't know if he's technically a coach. He's like a quality Cubs. assistant something something. Yeah, it's like a weird name. It's like whatever. You're just there to have fun. Um, but I – because to me, like why would he go with the Cubs? Like he has no ties to the Cubs. Um, but for my Ranger heart, I'm glad that he's with uh, Darvish. Although – no, never mind. I was going to say David Ross was never with the Red Sox. He was. He, when they won 2013. Yeah, because he was okay. That he he was brought into the Cubs. Okay, because when he was on the Red Sox, he was John Lester's like personal catcher, That's and so right. he was okay. brought into the Cubs to be John Lester's personal catcher. Because I was like, Napoli was on that Red Sox team. Also, my brain still thinks of Napoli as a catcher because that's what his position was when he was with the Rangers the first time around. So in my brain, I was like, well, he couldn't have been a catcher if David Ross was a catcher. 
it's all fixed in my brain now anyway. Cubs are great. Can't wait for them to win that series. The Lester thing is interesting, though, because I've always wondered about that this season. Because, like, David Ross, for a huge part of his career, was John Lester's personal catcher. Yeah. And now he's, like, his manager. And they were talking about how, like, they were good for at least a few times a season to, like, argue with each other. Because he was saying, they were talking about, uh, it was when they, in their World Series one, when they, like, won, like, the DS or the CS or something. And they're interviewing both of them. And they're like, yeah, well, we actually had one the other day. Like, a real, like, all-out battle the other day. And... Uh, David Ross is explaining it. He's like, you know, before a game, the catcher and the pitcher, they go over all the lineup for the other team. And they're like, okay, this is what this, the report is on this guy, this guy, this guy. And they were playing the Braves. And the thing he said is no curveballs to Freddie Freeman. And so Freddie Freeman comes up in the first. And John Lester, like, shakes off, like, several pitches of, of David Ross's in, like, the first inning. And he's like, we just talked about this. No curveballs. <laughs> Like like they just start getting and then they're done. Like they just yell and then they're fine. Like, well, this is going to be interesting. How it would be as a manager because you can't really do that. Yeah. Um, One thing I am excited about though is to see the Marlins uniforms. Mm -hmm. Although now that I'm thinking about it, it is going to be their away uniform. So that sucks because they have some really awesome, like bright blue uniforms that I love. So I guess now that I've said that, it won't happen. So it doesn't even matter. Um, Another interesting thing about all of these NL matchups, none of them have, like, seen each other in the regular season because they're all mixed up, whereas on the AL, I think it's only one. Yeah, only one series has uh, two teams that have played each other a lot during the season. So I think that also – makes it interesting because you have all these teams who haven't faced each other this season, which could always lead to some, not to make a pun, wild cards series in this because usually these teams have faced each other maybe six games out of the season, but it's enough to be like, okay, I remember when I faced this pitcher and this happened and I got to look for this. Um, So that's always, I feel like, something – that could change up what we think could happen in the series. Um, the last one is Braves Reds. And I think this is the only one in the NL that I had an upset. I just like the energy the Braves have right now, or the Reds have right now. Like they're given a real, like, we want to do this upset vibe. Mm-hmm. And the Braves, I mean, they, they have a lot of a track record of postseason appearances and stuff like that but it seems like they also have a lot of track record of like disappointing postseasons so I just kind of like just the vibe I was like this is why I'm not a baseball analyst I just the vibe I was getting from Cincinnati I picked Cincinnati um I went with the Braves um I will admit a lot of it because again I don't watch a lot of the NL during the season um a lot of it was, well, Bowers with the Reds, and I don't like him. And yeah, Ron I don't Washington. necessarily like the Reds. No, yeah. And Ron Washington is with the Braves, so that also helped me make, make my decision. Um, but I just feel like the Braves have felt more consistent than the Reds. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, coming in as a wild card spot, you do – teams feel like they have more to prove. 
Um, so that could always change how they come into the game versus the other team. Kind of like what I was saying with um, Stars earlier. Um, just the mentality of coming into the game might be a little different for the Reds. Um, but yeah, I went with the Braves. Mostly it did kind of them being the second seed kind mm-hmm. of played into that as well. Um, so do you want to go to the AL now? Yes. So the one seed is the is Tampa Bay versus Toronto. And first of all, I do like it's Rays, Blue Jays. I like the rhyming thing. Yeah. But sorry, Steve Dangle and all of the Toronto hockey fans. Um, you just look at the records and everything. I'm picking Tampa Bay. Yeah, uh, Tampa's number one seed, so that automatically gives them a little up. Also, they've played each other ten times this season, and the Rays have won six of those games. So, um, it it just doesn't feel like the Blue Jays have a a chance to just suddenly change that record. Um, I did see MLB noted that uh, two of those wins that the Rays had were extra inning walk-off wins, which the way they noted that was almost as if that was a bad thing, but I was like, it's still a win just because of one extras. From that is though the 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 weird extra inning rule that is not carrying over to the postseason. The runner on second rule. Right. Um, which I'm okay with. Um It would be weird if it did carry over, I think. Yeah, I, I don't like that rule in general, so I'm kinda glad it's not. Um also I, although Tampa has won the series, the season series against them. Uh, Toronto has outscored Tampa 48-44, which not that big of a margin, but just weird that the team that has the losing record has the more, has more runs. Um, also, another note from MLB is that um, this is a wild card series, but should uh, Toronto make it to the division series, they have lost all four um, division series since 2008 which is when they made a world series appearance which i'm saying that now and that sounds wrong because they beat the rangers twice in the division series right those are division series so i don't know what mlb is saying so just ignore what i just said because it doesn't make any sense as i'm saying it out loud i do want to say too like in the time when i picked tampa and then i picked la overall overarching theme of when it's a three-game series realistically anything could happen and it wouldn't be like completely blow my mind just three games is such a small sample size yeah and I mean part of me also wants to say home field advantage but I mean there's no fans as far as I know there's no fans in these games Mm -hmm. now the next few there could be I know World Series, there will be. Um, so I don't – again, home field advantage as far as, like, crowd being behind you and, like, that kind of energy, probably not going to be the same. But I don't know. Them playing in Tampa is kind of interesting just because that ballpark's weird. Well, yeah, and, like, I know the most about Chicago, but so, like, the Cubs. Cubs players always know more about playing the Ivy than – yeah. non-Cubs players yeah. and especially 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 against a team that hasn't played a single game in Chicago this year 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's like things like that, that matters. So yeah. the next one I struggle, this is probably the one I struggled with the most mm-hmm. Yankees, Indians, Indians are the four seed Yankees are the five seed. And here's my struggle. It was all with the Yankees because yeah, I really like DJ LeMahieu is obviously really good. Luke Voigt is very good. They have a lot of talent there. They've just been like, there'll be moments in the season where you're looking and it's like the Yankees fans think the sky is falling because they can't win a single game and they just look like losers. Not like, like the talent is there, but like they don't have the heart for yeah. it. But then there's other times where they're amazing. And so it's almost like, well, which Yankee team shows up and that'll tell you who wins it. And so I just kind of have to predict which Yankee team is going to show up. Yeah. And I'm just going to go with that it will be the, the talent will show up. So I, I picked the Yankees. I don't like the Yankees, but I picked <laughs> the Yankees. Um, I went with Cleveland because just because of how the Yankees have been so up and down the season, um, watching, I was watching Rangers yesterday and their broadcast was talking about how weird the postseason is. And one thing that they mentioned was like, yeah, the Yankees, you think, okay, they got judge and they got, um, all the, like the big name guys, but like their batting leader is DJ LeMahieu and their home run leader is Luke Voigt. Like that's not what you expect from that team. If you look at their roster, Um, I think that this series, at least the first game is not going to be a very high scoring game because Garrett Cole's pitching for the Yankees and Shane Bieber is pitching for the Indians. Although next to his name, it has Chicago White Sox. Um, that's probably the game, the first game to watch. Like that's a good matchup. Yeah. Um, so just based on that game, I'm like, Ooh, almost anyone could win that game because I think that's going to be a real like pitching battle. Um, but I did go with Cleveland just because they, they feel like they've been the more consistent team. Although I was even surprised they made it to the postseason because based on like trade deadlines and all that stuff, you thought they were sellers in the basement, nothing going to happen. And suddenly they're in the postseason. Um, Although with how this season has gone, once they were sellers at the trade deadline, you should have penciled them into the playoffs because, like, look at the Marlins. Right. Uh, so I just I, I went with Cleveland just because I feel like they have the better chance of being not so fluky in three games. So the next one, this one probably pains me more than anything. Why do the Astros have to play the Twins? Because I know that the Twins have a good record. But the Twins, okay, what is it? They had, like, 100 wins last year, and the Yankees made them look horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, they just completely steamrolled them. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, there is just no way. Like, I never – I just don't believe in the Twins. And I, I want the Twins to win. I should pick the Twins to win because I just absolutely cannot stand the Astros. But the one – like, I would pick them over – literally as any other team in the AL. I just, I don't trust the Twins at all. Um, I picked the Twins because I can't Please. pick Houston. Please. I, want to, I didn't even say who I picked because I'm not going to say it because it's just, <laughs> it pains me so much that the Twins, why did they have to play the Twins? Why well, maybe I can twins? convince you to pick the Twins because um, not the, tw- take much. <laughs> the Twins ended their season um, 16 and 8. The Astros ended 8 and 16. So, you know, also Houston has the losing record. 
they also don't really have much in their pitching rotation. Like, they have Zach Greinke, and they, I mean, don't get me wrong, they have some good starting pitchers, but I should point out that the Rangers, who were awful this season, took three of the last four games against Houston. So they're not really even in a very comfortable position of like, yeah, we just beat, we just won. No, like Houston's coming into this series on a three-game losing streak. So there's that. Um, it just, it bothers me so much that the Twins won 100 games last year and looked like so terrible in the postseason. Yeah, it just the, does not feel good. The other thing is they're playing at the Twins ballpark. So, you know. It's That's not. the one thing that can convince me because I have this up right now because I was looking at their last year record. Uh-huh. I think I might have changed my mind. And here's, here's what will change my mind. The Twins' home record this year is 24-7. and seven. The Astros' away record is 9-23. and yeah. they've been awful on the road. And not uh, only have they been awful on the road, but the Twins have been amazing at home. So yeah. we're going to cross our fingers that that, that and just good, good old-fashioned karma – prevails yes. and that yeah. the Astros not only do they lose but they lose in two yeah. they're going to hope the, with everything yeah. I just I really wish like if the if the Astros had gotten paired up against the Yankees I would be like if it were possible for the Yankees to beat them in one game they would win the series in one game because there is no way the, the Yankees will let the Astros beat them after what oh, happened last year for sure I would I would just be so completely confident of that or like the Rays, the A's. I mean, I would even feel like the White Sox. Like, there are so many teams I would be like, there is absolutely no way. The Twins just make me nervous. Yeah, but the Twins are, like, coming into this series with some swagger. Like, have you Mm -hmm. seen some of the pictures from how much fun they're having? They have robes. Like, after someone hits a home run, they get to put on a robe in the dugout. Like, very classy over there. Um. And maybe this is what they need to exercise the, like, we kind of choke in the postseason stuff. Yeah. And like, game on the team everyone hates. Exactly. And game one, uh, Kinta Maeda will be starting for the Twins, Zach Grinke for Houston, which it pains me to root against Zach Grinke, but I can do it for another game. Um, but I, I, I think the Twins, I would be honestly shocked if they don't win this series. Can the Dodgers just loan Joe Kelly to the Twins for this <laughs> series? I feel like they would do it because I feel like they can afford to loan Joe Kelly and still beat the Brewers. Can they please? Oh my gosh. I just realized though, if Houston wins, that next series will be played at the Dodgers stadium. That would actually be kind of awesome <laughs> to see them lose. Well, whoever wins Twins or Astros, they will play the winner of the Athletics. White Sox series. Now, this one, low-key, kind of an interesting 2-7 matchup because only mm-hmm. one win separates the Athletics from the White Sox. And the White Sox have some really great players, some really, like, interesting players. They're kind of on the rise. I picked the A's mostly because I just like the A's better than I like the White Sox. It's the Chicago Cubs thing in me, so I'm, I'm going to go with the A's. But I think you look 2-7 and you're like, oh, it's the Athletics. But I think it could be like one of those nail-biter kind of series. Yeah, I agree with that too because I, I also picked the A's, but you're right. The White Sox do have some interesting players. Um, they have – I feel like they – 
they're a good mix of having like a lot of young rookies and then having like the older veterans which Mm -hmm. that sounds dumb because every team has both but I feel like they have a good mix where it's not like all rookies and like one or two veterans yeah it it feels very half and half and I think that's very helpful especially in the postseason um and especially in a three-game series like thank god this isn't just a one game it do or die like it would be if it was any other season for a wild card team um but I think I think this series might be one of the more the most interesting series in the AL just because I do kind of feel like the White Sox could just take out the A's because the A's have been good in a lot the last few seasons and then they get to postseason and they just die like they look like the most dominant team and then they just it's gone the Minnesota Twins thing <laughs> yeah and they don't have their third baseman Matt Chapman mm-hmm. and right now they don't have a game one starter listed I honestly can't think of one of their pitchers except Mike Miner because he was a former ranger um I almost feel like I'm talking myself out of picking the A's even though I picked the A's yeah, I wouldn't mind like, if the White Sox won. It's one of, like there's a couple of these series. I guess all of them, like I said, in theory, like all of them, if the other team could just could definitely win, just because it's a three game series and that's kind yeah. of how that works. But I feel like that this one most especially just because of yeah. the teams involved. And I think when you're talking about the mix of veterans and like young players too, there is something to the fact of. Like you said, every team has those, but it's not like, okay, you have all veteran pitchers and then like a completely young infield or something like that. Like they're kind of sprinkled and it's like the right positions and stuff like that. Like I think like having some veterans in different key spots and like the right kind of voices and stuff like that, it can really make a difference. So, I mean, obviously I think you see that in hockey too. Of, like, mm-hmm. if you try to rely on your veteran to be, like, veteran goalie. Well, I mean, it can't, that can be good if they're, like, still athletic and stuff. But if veteran goalie means, like, 38-year-old goalie, yikes. <laughs> Good yeah. luck with that. So, yeah. I think um, for baseball, I think we'll keep that for now. And then instead of doing, like, running through the whole bracket, we're, we're getting into games that are theoretical because we yeah. picked the winners of the ones. We'll just predict the next series after it happens. So, yeah. for either in a quick hitter or for next week's episode, we'll move on to the next round. So with that, do you have anything else or do you want to do rant and rant? Um, I think that's it. I will say that potentially by like Thursday, we could be done with round one of at least the AL, um, possibly NL if they only all play two games. And the Stanley Cup. Like, it's all like that's how quick some of that will go, which is weird. Like, Stanley Cup's gonna be over by midweek. And they'll already be moving around too. So I, I feel like we'll definitely have a quick hitter this week. Yeah. Lots going on. So, um, right and right time. Do you want me to go first? Or do you wanna go first? You go first. So, um, my rant, I may or may not have talked about it in, this in 
last episode, but I still need to talk about this because it really bothers me. They did a whole thing about like inside the bubble and what it's like and some of the challenges players are going through. And uh-huh. we found out something that is still bothering me too. Like it's it just bothered me all week because I remember hearing Chris Johnston on the Steve Dangle podcast when this whole started, they were saying like, we learned from the NBA and the things that were coming out in their early like days in the bubble and like the food and we learned from major league soccer we're not going to have that issue and he listed out all of these options of like there's going to be room service and there's going to be this and there's going to be that and this and then there's like if all of that doesn't work then there's going to be this and then there's going to be like uber eats or whatever that can deliver and they'll have a whole process for that well apparently i did not know this this was never said apparently room service was not like included and there was no per diem or anything so there's no like here's your expense allotment or anything so players when their season is over and okay granted jamie ben makes like nine million dollars so right he, he can run up a room service bill and whatevs but like dennis guriana makes under a million dollars and he's been in there for months and like the room service stuff is not room service is not cheap Mm-mm. and it's not like it was just a nominal amount so they were saying like thousands of dollars guys were checking out with room service bills and it's like they didn't even realize that and so it was like well then you should, almost should have had them do uber eats and whatever every yeah. night because that would be cheaper but it's like and that's they said guys started doing that like because when they realized it, it's like oh i better just like do all of, like the guys who don't have as much money like i better do this it's way cheaper and i the food, i like the food but then they're not eating good food and you're just, and it's like some teams in their like room, because teams had a designated like conference room in each hotel. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. teams would have food, but it was like the richer teams had the better stuff. And so you just, it's, it's just like, how is that any better? How is that any better than like giving them like, okay, the NBA gave them crappy food for free. And your chart, like you're just saying, oh, we're giving you access to good food. You have to pay for it all. Like, they're not even, like they said, a per diem. They couldn't even give us, like, here's a couple hundred bucks a day. Nothing? Like, I don't know. It just really bothers me. And I know, like, a lot of people are going to be like, well, they're professional athletes. Like, why do you feel sorry for them? Blah, blah, blah. But it's like, they had to completely isolate from, like, all of society for months. And they can't even get food for free. And they kind of sort of get paid for the playoffs in that the money that the league makes from this payoff playoffs means less money that gets taken from them in escrow. But that's also true for teams that didn't make the playoffs. So like Detroit players benefit from that too. They don't actually get, there's no, like some, some players have like bonuses and stuff, but beyond Mm -hmm. that, there's no like a standard amount that every player gets for making the playoffs. There was no compensation or anything. So it's like, we can't even cover food when you're not getting paid anyways. Like, come on. Yeah. And it's not like they could cook their own food if they wanted to. Like, I mean, so they did, they, like, I know a guy baked a, a Vancouver Canucks player. That was like one of the things he did to pass the time is he baked for his teammates and stuff. And they let you like order groceries in and then they yeah. let you use the, the like kitchen. They gave you access to a kitchen for free, but you had to pay for the groceries. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I I feel like NHL should have been way more upfront with them about like, hey, by the way, you're paying for your own food. And I get like room service, like you can't just give them an open tab or whatever, but then why can't you have like, 
a decent amount of selection because there might have been like a free option but it was like hard to get to and it wasn't great or whatever but like there just has to be a better way I just it it seems like that's maybe so and, and obviously this probably isn't going to happen again so maybe there isn't anything to learn from this but it still annoys me dumb question they're the like the only people in their hotel is NHL, right? Yeah, those hotels are closed okay. to the public. And like they were saying, th- that that article is really interesting. I encourage everyone to read it because they were talking about how you felt safe because there were all these fences, but then it was also like isolating because like yeah. they're like they're in downtown Toronto and there's these tall fences, so you don't even feel like you're in downtown Toronto because you can just see some buildings, but you can't see people, you can't see anything. Yeah, And they were talking about, too, so Toronto was actually a little bit of a nice bubble because I think one or both of the hotels had access, maybe both the hotels had access to where the Toronto Canadian football team plays. And so it was like a big football field. And obviously they could throw a football around. They played spike ball, soccer, all that kind of stuff. And it's like an actual outdoor setting. The outdoor space they have in Edmonton they call it the prison yard because it's like this fenced in concrete place with like a basketball hoop it's so bad yeah the only time the stars have like been able to go to like another I guess it's a football stadium is like when they've had like back-to-back off days yeah it's just it bothers me so that that was a fun time. So do you have a rant now if you want to? Yes, I do. Um, I was going to rant about this when we were talking um, about NHL at the beginning, but I saved it. Um, and mostly my rant is about like what NBC in particular chooses as like the narrative for a team or player. Um, it's been bothering me specifically with the stars since probably Calgary um specifically with Tyler Sagan and I know we've talked about it a few times it's such a tired narrative and really it's like the easiest one to go for it it bothers me because yes the stars play pay him money to score goals but you can do other things and be productive Maybe it's not as flashy as scoring goals, but it's just as productive and just as beneficial to the team. But the broadcast is constantly picking on him because he hasn't scored many goals. If I think he scored one and two maybe in the postseason total. But they almost make it sound like he just goes out on the ice and just does absolutely nothing for the team. And it's such a tired narrative and I'm so sick of hearing about it and not only because it's like he is doing things but it also makes it like if the stars lose it's because he didn't score it's not because the coach is mixing up lines the whole time it's not because he's not putting the goal scorers on the ice all the time it's because Tyler Sagan isn't scoring goals and that is just it, it annoys the heck out of me because there are so many other narratives you could go for if you want a negative one. Um, the other one that's bothered me is like 
they seem to want Tampa Bay to really win. And again, that could just me being a homer and annoyed with the broadcast that I'm like selectively hearing um, that they don't like the Stars. But like a good narrative would be like the Stars won the Winter Classic and now they could win the, I almost said World Series, the Stanley Cup. I don't know if that's ever happened or how often that's happened, but that seems like a pretty cool narrative to go with. Uh, instead, I also think go... the stars are like the underdogs, like and have yeah. been for a lot, a lot of the playoffs. And like, okay, last year, all we heard about was how the Blues were last place in January. Why well, can't we talk about how the Stars were one seven and one to start this season, and that only win was in overtime? Like, why isn't that part of our narrative? Why isn't the whole, like, how awful they were in March and then coming into the bubble, why can't that be part of the narrative? Yeah, it's not, like, yeah, they they weren't as bad as being last place in January, but, like, look, they, I did not expect them to get this far. I cannot imagine that Rick Bonus expected them to get this far. So I can't imagine that the broadcast expected them to get this far. Why can't that be part of the narrative? Instead, the narrative is, well, Tyler Sagan doesn't score goals. Jamie Benn has been on and off through this postseason. Doby's been a backup goalie. Also, I'm kind of tired of how many times they say Doby's a backup goalie. Like, we didn't know he was this good. Yes, he's been a backup goalie, but, like, he's not, like, some no-name, played maybe five games backup goalie. There is – you also have to differentiate because there is, like, the team I know is Toronto. There is your Toronto Jack Campbell. Very clearly, Freddie's number one, and Jack Campbell is a distant second. Right. And then there are your teams. Dallas is probably like the poster child for this. You're one A, one B. Yes. And so it's like he's not a backup. He's a one B. And there is a very clear difference between yes. backup and one B because backup, backups pretty much exclusively play second half to back-to-back or maybe right. the first half of a back-to-back but they only ever play in back-to-back scenarios that's pretty much all that you'll ever see a backup play your 1b it's like if they're hot you're gonna ride them yeah. if the other guy's hot you're gonna ride them and it's, it's it's very like a lot more consistent they're gonna play a lot more games than just back-to-backs and so I think it's it, it's kind of a misnomer the other thing I will say about Tyler Sagan is he assisted, I think, in every goal last game. Yeah, I so know. Last it's I saw like, it, he had, like, five assists in the last two games or something like that. And so I think it was fair up to a point that he hadn't had the playoffs that you would expect for him. Not mm-hmm. so much on goal scoring, but just holistically looking. But he has been really impactful of late. And I think that that's an important part of the narrative. And it's not it like, ah, oh, he's a team game. Are you mm-hmm. helping your team win? And I think you could argue that maybe early on he wasn't helping to what you would expect. No. I don't think you can argue that now. I think yeah. he is helping his team in a way that I would expect. Now, maybe like you would predict goals more than anything, but I think there's no way that they perform as well as they have the past two games, if not for him. Yeah. Um, I also was gonna I totally blanked as I started talking um 
Oh, with the, the other thing specifically about Dobie that they said yesterday, and it drove me nuts, is they were like, he has started almost every game uh, this postseason for the Stars. And I was like, why don't you just say he's played in every game because he has? I think round robin, God, that feels like a year ago. I think Ben Bishop started one of those games. Um, but I also as far- feel like you can count the playing games as like, like lump that all together. Every player who's been in that, involved in that, says the, like who did round robin and then played in the playoffs, says the round robin was not remotely anything like the other playoff right. game. So like, can we just like, you can count it for stats or whatever. Those don't count for like goalies playing in games because it's yeah. just not at all the same thing. So we're counting Calgary, Colorado, Vegas, and now this series against Tampa. Dobie has been in literally every single one of those games. He has started all but one, which Ben Bishop started, and he still came into that game. So why not just say Dobie has played in every game and started all but one, but has played in every single, and give him the credit he deserves without having to add on the little asterisk of he's a backup goalie, because that drives me insane. It just, it's just not accurate. Well, and also... A, a, a thing that is like unquestionably too he owns every win the stars have in the postseason yep yeah like that's just the like and i think that's what matters because like ben bishop started in the loss i mean they yeah. lost the stars are not even beating calgary without doby um do you want to go on to end with our happy note rave? Yes. <laughs> so my rave is I've been loving since the some of the families and wives and stuff have been in the bubbles that we mm-hmm. now get some really great crowd shots. So I have to shout a few of them out. Um, so game four, when Corey Perry scored, they showed his wife like singing mm-hmm. along to the goal song. And then low-key favorite part of that is if you look in the background, Mama Alexiak is also singing along is with the song. Is that who that was? That, and I recognized her from that mom video. If you go back and rewatch that video from the mom's trip where she tells a story, the hair. You're like, oh, that's oh. who that was. And I knew that she was coming in because in the story where they talked about, where I was talking about the room service and everything, they yeah. also talked about families. And they said that, Tyler Sagan's family, although I haven't seen them at all on, like, the NBC broadcast, but they're supposedly, like, his mom, his dad, and his sisters all coming into the bubble, and that Jamie Alexiak's parents were coming. So I knew that they were there, and then I saw the hair, and I'm like, that's Jamie's mom. I know that. I know that hair. (laughs) But my favorite, favorite, favorite thing, and I got to give Twitter props for this, um, uh, Someone on Twitter said, Corey Perry has scored three goals in the two games since his wife arrived in the bubble. And then, of course, we have a a reply, do you want to alert Mike Milbury or should I? Because remember, (laughs) Mike Milbury said that a huge advantage of these playoffs is that since they're in the bubble, there won't be any pesky distractions like women. And, And then Corey Perry all of a sudden turns into like a goal scoring monster when his wife is in there. So, I mean, is she a distraction? Seems like she's she's distracting him into a bunch of goals. What a terrible person. So I just, I, I, I stand. I I know there aren't a lot of Corey Perry fans out there, but just the, the subtle FU to Mike and Bilberry, I, I, I support that. 
did you see the gif from the end of the game with uh Perry's wife I think her name's Blakeney. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, it's something like that. And then it's her and then Megan Dowling. And Megan has, like, the baby. And Yes. Their reactions, I, I freaking loved it. Also, their matching outfits just made it that much more and exciting. Also, okay. So I said it earlier that it's a little weird, but how cool was it that Mrs. Perry and Baby Perry <laughs> <laughs> celebrating a Corey Perry goal? It's kind of funny. Yeah, I, I thought about you when, when I saw that. I was like, oh, Perry and Perry. So, anyways, I'll let you have the rave now. <laughs> uh, my rave is cake decorating videos on Instagram. And it's so random. But every once in a while, I'll go to, like, the Explore page. And because um, I follow a lot of baking accounts because baking is relaxing for me. And in the Explore page, it'll be like a video of someone decorating a cake. And then I just go in a rabbit hole. And for like hours, I can just watch video after video of someone frosting a cake and like decorating it with flowers or Halloween sprinkles or like just piping different like patterns on a cake. Like it has been the most relaxing thing all week. It's been my obsession. Um, it also makes me want to bake, which is not good because I don't have the space in my fridge or my stomach to be wanting to bake as often as I want to. Um, but if you need something to relax to, and and I don't even have the sound on. Like, I think they, they usually have, like, background music and it's dumb. But, like, when a hockey game gets stressful... I just scroll through a few of those videos, and it's it's very relaxing and very calming. Like, if you like watching Great British Bake Off or anything like that, cake decorating videos on Instagram, that's where it's at. And, okay, I saw this. I watched The Social Dilemma. Great movie. A little scary. Great documentary. Oh, I have scary. been afraid to watch <laughs> It is afraid to watch because, like, you, it, it makes you a little scared of, like, explore pages and stuff after that. Oh. However, I will say that once you know about it, you can kind of use it to your advantage because, like, I noticed my Instagram explore page, I love hockey players and their children, and so I'm always looking at, like, wives' Instagram pages and stuff, and I click on, like, the cute videos with their families and stuff yeah. and, like, the reunion videos, and so now my explore page is not, it's kind of expanded beyond hockey players, and it's just, like, cute families and their cute kid pictures and it's like okay yes it's definitely because they're spying like Instagram is spying on me and making like curating a feed that I will like but it's also just like really pure and cute and stuff like that so I yeah <laughs> so it's like on one hand definitely recommend the documentary it's good it makes you think about like a lot of what's going on in our world and just like social media and all of that stuff However, I, I, if, if you do things correctly, explore pages can still be awesome. So, just that's my piece. But still worth a watch. Definitely watch that video. Anyways, with that, we may probably will be back for a quick hitter when things happen in either, either sport. We are excited for all of that, and we will talk to you guys later. Bye, guys.